It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this scorching hot Tuesday afternoon. And the only thing that can cool you down outside of the air conditioner is downloading the Sound of Mobile app. That's a free download to any Apple or Android device that you may have. Again, you can correspond with us here on the app as well by downloading that free Sound of Mobile app. And we'd love to hear from you. You can always call us the old-fashioned way, 251-694-1055. And, of course, this Thursday, you don't want to miss out on your WNSP 30th Anniversary Fall Football Party at Heroes USA, where you can register to win the 65-inch smart television along with a leather recliner that swivels 360 mm. degrees, Nick Wiggins, from Barrow Fine Furniture. Thank Barrow Fine Furniture and Bailey's TV and Mattress for supplying those tremendous prizes that you have to be present to That's win right. in right. order to register and win this coming Thursday from 3 to 6 and from 6 to 7. Stick around as well. Pigskin Pete will also be bringing you his prep spotlight the show premiere. with Brian Gennard, d making that debut here on the fall session. Don't want to miss that. And we're going to do the drawing for that uh, TV and recliner in the final segment of the final drive. So you got to be there around that, you know, 545 mark to be able to win that mini man cave. And look, 65-inch TV, if you're swiveling – you could probably swivel about 270 degrees. You're going to see it out your peripheral, right? <laughs> That's a big TV. No, you can't miss that opportunity to come away. Make sure you register. It's not only an opportunity to win those two prizes. We'll have T-shirts. We'll have giveaways. We're going to have special guests right. that will be joining us at Heroes. So NFL Hall of Famer Robert Brazil scheduled to appear. Former Alabama running back Sherman Williams supposed to be there. You got Richie Riley, men's basketball coach, and we should have some South Alabama football players uh, popping in as well. It's going to be a good time. Bring your family. Bring your kids because, uh, you know, you're going to want to meet these people and potentially win those prizes. Don't want to miss out on that again. This coming Thursday, we will be broadcasting at Heroes USA right there on Hillcrest, on the right next to the campus of the University of South Alabama. You don't want to miss the huge WNSP 30th anniversary fall football party. And before we get to that party on Thursday, we have a party here on the final drive today is Tim Brando scheduled to join us right around 315. Of course, Tim Brando now covering college and as well as talks a little bit of pro football as well on Fox Sports. And of course, Chris Gordy locked on SEC joining us. And there were some 
a big announcement by the Reese's Senior Bowl today. Right. So we'll have Carl Francis. He's the director of communications for the NFL Players Association. He's also scheduled to join us at 4.30 to talk about that huge partnership that the NFL Players Association will now be having with the Reese's Senior Bowl. So you don't want to miss out on that. And yesterday, across the globe, yeah. everyone was blindsided by this news about what was going on with Michael Orr. And today, there's been a follow-up. Well, because we knew that there were holes in the story, right? We tried to all reserve judgment because, you know, we haven't heard from this Tui family, right? You know, you say you hear one guy's perspective, you hear the other person's perspective. The truth is in the middle, right? So we finally had a representative of the Tui family, their attorney, he came out and addressed some of these comments, and Corey, what did he say? An attempted $15 million, what the attorney is calling a shakedown by Michael Orr. Now, again, I, I don't really know if it's a shakedown by Michael Orr because, again, it's his life story that's being portrayed on Blindside, and right. he didn't benefit from it, but... Marty Singer, who is the Tui family attorney, says this is not the first time that Michael Orr has threatened the Tui family, saying if they don't pony up an eight-figure check, he plant a negative story about them in the press. Well, I guess that seed has not only been planted. It's growing. It's bloomed and is sprouting and is bearing all Boy, type like, of fruit. Like Jack and the Beanstalk, that thing shot up. <laughs> Absolutely it has. And, I mean, when you file a 14-page petition in the state of Tennessee saying, look, I just want to get paid, and what was the word of the day yesterday, Nick? Conservatorship. C is for conservatorship. This is still a very important word in how the attorney for the Tuies He's denying all of the allegations in Michael Orr's court documents, and he said the Tui family did not trick former the former star into getting into a conservatorship when he was 18 years old, as he claimed. And if he would like to terminate the conservatorship, either now or any time in the future, the Tuies will never oppose in any way. That's according to their attorney. Right. And and I remember also in that article, it says this isn't the first time that Michael Orr has tried to pull a charade like this with the Tui family, right? So knowing this update today from the Tui rep and knowing from Michael Orr's uh, side that we were, you know, discussing yesterday, where are you falling if you had to pick a side? If I have to pick a side, I'm still going to side with Michael Orr. Okay. It, it's his story. There is, there's no blindside movie without either one of the Tui family and or Michael Orr. There is right. no blindside. And, again, I don't think he does make it to the NFL without the assistance of this family. But I'm still just befuddled. Michael Orr spent over a decade in the NFL, and he made millions of dollars. Now, Michael Orr coming out with a book 
about what's going on in his life, how he got to where he is. I'm still puzzled as to why we're dealing with this eight years later and the fact that why not just go ahead and say, you know what, Michael, we if you would love for us to legally adopt you, we'll do that to this day. Because well, I don't think he wants that anymore. No. Now I, my guy's looking I, for a check. And and what kind of has me feeling a little icky about the whole thing is that quote where you were saying that uh well uh, um saying that he they would plant this story if they didn't meet the demands. Like everything we're talking about and seeing now it was all premeditated by Michael Orr, right? Like, hey, if y'all don't do what I'm going to say, I'm going to ruin your reputation, and this thing's going to blow up. And it did. So that kind of has me feeling weird that it wasn't just genuine or kind of random, oh, from just an interview or someone found out this insider information. He planned this whole thing. He was the mastermind be behind this whole thing. That that has me – I'm not going to say I'm leaning all the way to the twoies. But I'm definitely a little more Switzerland. I'm a little bit more in the middle now after hearing, you know, that side of the story. Well, here's the, the, the most coincidental part of everything is the fact that there is a book tour that is taking place. Yep. What better way to spark curiosity Man, about, okay, I, I do remember reading or seeing this blindside movie. Let me go ahead and refresh myself from his point of view, being Michael Orr's story. Let me hear what he has to say about his life and his experiences out of his autobiography. Like I don't know who Michael Orr's agent is, but do you remember when Scottie Pippen had his book come out? And he was making all those crazy off-the-wall comments that, you know, Dan Patrick was talking about. Every sports show was talking about, can you believe that Scottie Pippen revealed this and said this? Oh, by the way, Scottie Pippen just had a book come out. You can go read about it. And now here's, oh, my gosh, can you believe that Michael Orr is saying this is the truth about the blind side and the Tui family story? Can you really believe this? Oh, by the way, you can read more in the Michael Orr autobiography. Like, it, it all is just starting to come off a little commercial a little a little premeditated a little formulaic to me um i don't know I, I think there's negatives on both sides but it all just it is starting to kind of come off as just a big marketing scheme a little <laughs> bit I, I just know that anytime it gets picks up picked up by the national news and it, and and yes it is a sports story but when the national news starts talking about it and when you've made $300 million off of revenue from the movie, of course, again, it's one of those movies that made my mom cry when she watched it, right? It was one of those tear jerkers for her. And right. I think that because of it, you just hate to see that there, obviously you can say there's no sour grapes on both sides. And I still, that would be one awkward Thanksgiving dinner, if mm. they were to sit down at the table that ain't happening and, and try to iron things out. But you still would love to see. Again, I, I can't believe Michael Orr is hurting for money. And the book is something to where he wants to tell his truth. I, I, I really think it's a, he's all just I, I feel like he's just trying to promote that book, man. Like, if this story didn't come out, how many people are really buying that Michael Orr book? 
now that this story has come on come out and taken over national headlines, people that book the book revenue probably has jumped two hundred percent if at a minimum. Um, but look, I don't know. But you know, I'll tell you what I do know. I am excited to talk to our next guest, Tim Brando. Have him uh, expound some of his college football knowledge on us. Talk about that top 25 poll. Uh, talk about this conference realignment. You got anything, you know, that you really want to ask uh, Brando when we get to him? Absolutely. I, I definitely want to discuss with him his thoughts on the leadership in the Pac-12 and the current leadership in the SEC because it's obvious the Pac-12 did not have any, does not have any, and the fact that the ACC is continuing to look to grow. Does the ACC grow by adding teams on the West Coast? Or does the ACC lose by possibly in the future having teams be a part of the Southeastern Conference? Tim Brando has covered all these conferences and can go ahead and break that down for us. No better guest than Tim Brando right. coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. Specs to our fallen colleague, Cat Certain. Of course, he will have a celebration of life this afternoon, starting at four o'clock until six, and then there'll be some fine artists performing at the Sanger Theater to pay respect to our fallen colleague in Cat Certain. So we just want to let all of Cat Certain's family and friends know that we dearly miss him and of course he is just one of those guys that will always remain on the forefront of many of our listeners especially our sister station 92 zoos thoughts and prayers are with cat certain's family and friends as we will play pay homage today at the Sanger Theater this afternoon from 4 to 6 and then of course immediately following there will be special guests that will be involved now. Nick Wiggins attempting to get in touch with Timmy B. And, of course, earlier we were talking a little bit about Michael Orr and that continued fallout, whether it's a book situation that we're going to be seeing and hearing from with Michael Orr. But also you have big-time news coming out today with – the ESPN Top 100 Players for 2023. We'll talk more about that list and did your favorite player get left off of that tomorrow. Also, Senior Bowl names the NFL Players Association's partnership for the 75th anniversary celebration that will be coming up, celebrating the Senior Bowl alumni who played from 1998 through 2023. So that's going to be critical right there, 1998 through 2023. 
because in 1999, it's celebrating the 50th anniversary, and they didn't want to have a duplication of the players there that were honored in the 50th anniversary in 1999. And now we're being joined by Tim Brando of Fox Sports. Timmy B., always a pleasure to join you here on the final drive and have a question before we get started. How did you wind up faring in that St. Jude celebrity amateur at TPC Southwind Golf Tournament? Did well. I have made three birdies. Um, my group, you know, we played a we played a scramble. We had fun, and um, I, I played well for my team, and, and we played Spring Creek Ranch on that Thursday, which happened to be the morning after they had a really big-time storm, and the temperatures cooled into the 80s, and we played in the morning, so it was um, it was wet, but it was cool, and it was really nice because, as you know, it's been a uh, it's been like an easy bake oven every day uh, since then, both there and probably where you are. I know it is where I am. So we caught a break with the weather too, uh, but it was a lot of fun and uh, always uh, great to be at St. Jude. It had been about six years since I played in it, and it was great to be back. Well, I tell you, it's great for you to be back here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And we'll jump right into a couple of deep and, and, and really subject matter topics within college football. Of course, yesterday, the AP poll drops last week. The coaches poll dropped. And I know you're not really a big fan of the AP and coaches poll because, again, like you said, Sometimes they don't consider schedules where the games are being played. They're just going to go ahead and throw out there based on the representation of five-star athletes, so you call it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you look at my top ten, which I put out about three weeks ago, uh, you'll find teams like Oregon, uh, Tulane, Kansas State, you know, teams that I believe uh, have – opportunities to have great seasons but are not necessarily the biggest brands. Uh, you can almost bet that Oregon will never be ranked ahead of USC <laughs> or that Utah will never be ranked ahead of USC, and yet Utah beat them twice last year. Okay, that's an example. You can always bet that Texas will be ranked ahead of Kansas State, and yet Texas hasn't won a Big 12 title since 2009. Shall I go on? <laughs> yeah, hey, look, I mean, we, we definitely it, get it, your vibe right there out of that one. And, and based on Southern Cal, I, I know that the last time I talked with you, we had no clue that the Pac-12 was just going to implode within a three-week period. And now that it has done that, you look at the fact that geographically now a lot of these conferences are making student-athletes travel across the country especially in your non-revenue-generating sports. Timmy B., I mean, is this really happening in collegiate athletics? Yeah, it is. And I think that uh, you sounded a little bit scared and you, you sounded a little bit, um, uh, how do I put it, um, foreshadowing that we're, we're, we're losing our minds and this is all out of control. And, and neither one of those things are true. Uh, you know, this is these all these decisions are, are are based on football. They're all based on the revenue generating sports, which are football, 
and really not even college basketball at all, but mostly football. Basketball is 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 going to make its money from the NCAA tournament. It has nothing to do really with any of the television decisions that are made, you know, for 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 the the fall season, which brings uh, you know more people to television sets than any other sport in America besides the National Football League. Um, you know, the, the the notion that all of these quote unquote student athletes, and I'm frankly getting tired of hearing that jargon from from uh, a lot of the uh, press and especially a lot of the administrators. Let's let's call them what they are. Okay, they're players, and and a lot of them are student athletes, but not all of them. Okay, a lot of them are there because they're getting uh, seven figures with NIL, and they're waiting to become eligible for the NFL draft. So I think we need to look at it from you know realistically. The other factor that I think is 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 overlooked here is simply because USC and uh, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington are going to be playing in the Big Ten. Uh, yeah, they'll fly uh, across the country to play their football games, and they only have to fly to do that uh, no more than four or five times because they're they're in a league that's going to play nine conference games, and they'll share charter uh, travel. They, they they'll go direct from their location, direct to where the football game is being played. Uh, there, there's no. There's no guarantee, and in fact, I would tell you, I really believe one of the reasons Oregon and Washington is joining USC and UCLA is because the Big Ten, who who made them the the, the, the gave them the opportunity to have an option when the Pac-12 television deal fell all the way down to an incentive-based only, digital-only contract, and was not going to give them the kind of revenue on a yearly basis that they were accustomed to having when they were on linear television with Fox and ESPN, the Big Ten took them, I think, in large measure because they knew that by adding Oregon and Washington to go along with USC and UCLA, it could make for a much easier set of circumstances for their non-revenue-producing sports to stay out west and form divisions. And so that perhaps before they even get to the start of those seasons in those non-revenue producing sports, they understand that um, they won't have to travel to the same extent that, that football would have to travel for those teams to play. So, you know, let's pump the, pump the brakes here on um, so much of the, the, the negative media reports about this all being about money and this all being about television you know, driving the entire bus. Yeah, we're, we've got influence. Television's got plenty of influence. But television doesn't control the fact that the, the Pac-12 had a commissioner that drove his league into a financial ditch when he tried to start his own television network without the help of either ESPN or Fox, which is what the Pac-12 did under Larry Scott, and doesn't hide the fact that George Klyavkov, the Pac-12 commissioner who took over, was absolutely lapped, I mean completely lapped, by Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big 12, who came in with one more year left on his TV deal. He was able to jumpstart and fix the problems in the Big 12 that were left by the loss of teams like Texas and Oklahoma, who vacated for the SEC. Two of the biggest brands in the history of the sport have left the Big 12 and not only have they survived, 
David Vance, those teams that are left from the, 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 the league that OU and Texas were in are now going to make more money annually than they made when Texas and Oklahoma were in their league. So that just tells you the Big 12, with due diligence, and a commissioner that knew what the hell he was doing, got the job done in television, and the Pac-12 commissioner did not. So what the Big 10 did was it offered options to both Oregon and Washington after they knew how bad their television situation looked for the foreseeable future. It wasn't as if the Big Ten went out and asked uh, and pled for Oregon and Washington to come. That was not the case. This is no different than what Oklahoma and Texas did in giving the SEC a phone call and saying, hey, we're ready to come if you're, re- if you're ready to take us. That's what happened. Same thing happened here. And yet um, there are a lot of people out there, and I'm just going to tell you, um, the mass media is in overload shooting down college football, shooting down those that I know care about college football, and making television the, vi- uh, the villain when it's television that is helping and has helped for years fund and keep these programs not only on the rise, but help make college football the second most popular sport in this country. Um, you know, to say that we are the problem, that television is the problem, I mean, that is absolute, complete garbage. The problem is the administrators, some of them do a great job and some of them don't. The Big 12 commissioner did a great job here, uh, as has uh, the Big 10 commissioner who just took over. I think everyone knows Greg Sankey's done a remarkable job for the most part. I disagree with him on the eight versus nine games, but, but he's done a great job. He, he, he took uh, all of college football through COVID and led the way. But Larry Scott drove the Pac-12 into a ditch, and a ditch that, it, that its new commissioner could not get them out of, and, and that's unfortunate. But they got what they deserved. And I think in a lot of respects, there were a lot of people out in, the, in that part of the country that just didn't care as much, didn't reinvest in college football. Uh, Stanford and California are two great examples. Uh, those programs and the people that govern those programs have not been reinvesting in those teams for a long, long time. Uh, I'm frankly sick and tired of hearing and seeing columns being written telling us why college football is so screwed up. Uh, Enough already. College football has never flourished any better. Players now, by the way, okay, I I heard Kevin Blackestown on Feinbaum show wrote an article from the Washington Post. He actually said today, College football should just start over, okay? And I'm like, what? He believes every player should be paid. The players with name, image, and likeness that that are fairly are getting their fair compensation are doing really great things with their compensation. No one wants to talk about that. Now we need to regulate it. We need to get standardized rules from state to state. Uh, but that's that's is that television's fault? No, I don't think it's television's fault. It's the people that have governed for years, both at the NCAA level and at the schools level, in intercollegiate athletics that have screwed this up. Um, but the, this notion that Blackstone had about you know all players being paid and we need, need to turn uh, all of college athletics into semi-pro or minor league ball for the NFL and uh, the NBA, well, you know what? Let's have the NFL and the NBA subsidize college football. You think that's going to happen? 
I mean, these liberal columnists that want to just take college football and throw it in the tank, I am sick and tired of hearing them and reading them. We're talking with Tim Brando of Fox Sports. Tim, so you just talked about basically, you know, how we got to this point. You know, I can remember just a year ago, it was up Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12. Rest in peace, Big 12. Now, all of a sudden, the narrative is, oh, the Big 12, they're going to be one of only four conferences for the future. And now you've got Florida State and Clemson and the ACC. So you just explained how we got to this point. Where do you think we're going to go in the future? What's the future of college football look like? Well, I think those four teams uh, that are left, and I really feel more uh, empathy for Oregon State and Washington State in the Pac-12 because they don't have uh, the same uh, juice and history that either Stanford or Cal has. And that's one of the reasons why you saw the overtures between the ACC and those two schools. You notice Washington State and Oregon State were not included in that. And that's that's because of the academic standing and history of those uh, of those two uh, proud Pac-12 programs historically. Um, but I think they would be very wise, uh, those four schools, to, to talk to their friends that are out there in that region of the country, the Mountain West in particular, which has you know, right now Fresno State, <coughs> San Diego State, uh, Boise State, all quality programs that have uh, fared very well recently, successful football programs in recent years. That guy opened, Spencer and I open our season with uh, uh, Ohio University, the Bobcats, a, a MAC favorite in the uh, Mid-American Conference, going out to play San Diego State on week zero in their brand-new stadium in San Diego. Um, they would be very wise to, to try to, to, to link up with them, I think because they have a television deal. Mountain West has a linear TV deal with Fox already, uh, and by bringing those teams in, uh, you can argue that their, their television contract would be of greater value and that they would be able to petition uh, to get more money, more television revenue from uh, Fox. Same would be true with the American Conference, uh, which is the league, of course, that's had UCF and uh, most recently, Cincinnati, a team that made it to the college football playoff a couple of years ago. Those teams, along with Houston and BYU, have joined the Big 12. And, and that certainly, uh, was a, none of those teams would be rivals of, of Oklahoma and Texas in terms of, of uh, history and currency. You know, we're, we're talking about the biggest brands in the sport. But they are four quality programs, and they do bring a lot to the table, enough to give the rest of the Big 12, uh, $31 plus million dollars annually, which is about 5 to $6 million more per team than those schools were making when Texas and Oklahoma were in the league. So if I were those teams left out west, that's what I'd be thinking about doing, is cobbling together some sort of uh, uh, cooperating idea of, of, of coming together and joining that league. The ACC's got too many problems of its own trying to hold on to those seven schools that are all disgruntled and unhappy about their TV deal. But, but again, I'll go back to the, you know, the Pac-12 commissioner did a horrible job. Well, what happened with the ACC, you ask? Well, the ACC was trying to keep up with the Joneses, and their presidents made their then-commissioner, John Swafford, just absolutely promise them 
that he would get them a cable network. Now, how smart was doing that when cable cord cutting had already begun with uh, the Gen Zers and the uh, Millennials? Okay, I've got kids 40 and 32. Neither of them have cable. Okay, their families do not have cable. They're watching YouTube TV. All right? Cable cord cutting is going on. And yet the ACC presidents and athletic directors wanted to have a network just like the SEC's. And how many people are really watching that? Okay? Well, ESPN did a smart thing. They said, all right, we'll give you your cable network. You've got it. But we're only going to pay you this much money for your TV deal, and we're going to extend it all the way to 2036. 2036. And their grant of rights payments are upwards of 70 to 80 million to get out. So they're stuck. They have nowhere to go. And why do they? Why are they? Why are they in this position? A lack of leadership, both either with the commissioner's office or with the president that the commissioner serves at the FIDA. So. Again, it all comes back down to how you, you conduct yourself, how you do your business. And these are all items that uh, a lot of people in media just don't want to talk about, don't want to discuss, don't have time for it. No, they want to make headlines. And the headlines are, boy, college football is in for real trouble. It's all one big money grab. TV is controlling everything. No, there's a lot more to it than that. Absolutely. Tim Brando's with us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Of course, Tim Brando working with Fox Sports. And Tim, of course, being here in Mobile, Alabama, I know when, when I first had the opportunity to meet you last year at the Ceasefire First and Ten Banquet, when, when you talked to the crowd, you knew you had some Jag, South Alabama Jaguar fans in there. Of course, you knew you had yeah. your Alabama and Auburn fans in there, and Auburn went through a really tough time this this time of year last year, Alabama trying to find its way to a national championship. The expectations for Nick Saban this year without having that defined quarterback, do you see Alabama winning the SEC West, or should it have been LSU favored to win the West anyway? Well, Unless, uh, you know, unless LSU is able to not only beat Alabama, but also compete, uh, you know, for the SEC title game, you know, in a, in, a, in a much better fashion, stronger fashion than they did against Georgia, you, you know, you knew that the media at large was going to vote in Alabama because there's more media representing Alabama at those media days. So it was a given that Alabama was going to be the favorite to win the West. And by the way, uh, the, the people that create those uh, summertime magazines we all read, mm -hmm. they sell more of them in Alabama than anywhere else. So, <laughs> so you know they're going to pick Alabama. You got to take care. You got to know who your audience is, okay? And, and uh, uh, Alabama is always going to be, I think, considered the odds-on favorite to win the Western Division as long as there is one. That'll change pretty soon, thankfully. But uh, no, I'm not surprised that Alabama was chosen. But I don't think they're going to win the West. And I do think LSU will. Um, Alabama's quarterback room uh, is one of the weakest in the SECs. Um, Mississippi's Ole Miss got a better quarterback room. Uh, Tennessee's got a better quarterback room. Florida's got a better quarterback room. They don't have much of a defense, but they've got a better quarterback, in my opinion. Uh, you know, you look at um, 
you look at Alabama's situation and the quarterback that's likely to start, uh, the quarterback that's likely to start is going to be a guy that could not start at Notre Dame a year ago. Okay? Uh, and, and that's just fact. So, uh, and, and I know there are a lot of people that believe that from an athletic point of view, Monroe is the answer, but he's a one-dimensional quarterback. He's a run-first, uh, run-perhaps, uh, all the time option, and I don't know that that's the way uh, Nick Saban wants his offense to go. Yeah, he's not going to uh, put as much on this quarterback as he would have uh, Bryce Young, but but Bryce Young is a special guy who, oh by the way, was making seven figures on NIL last year. Let's not forget that. Uh, the 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 facts of the matter are, uh, Alabama is still strong enough to pull it off and win the West. If they can, if they can win every game, I just don't think they can. And I don't believe LSU necessarily wins the West by beating Alabama. Okay, uh, when I picked LSU ahead of Alabama in my top ten, uh, people presumed that I, I thought that I was predicting an LSU win in Tuscaloosa. That's not the case. Uh, I think Alabama likely will beat LSU at home, but I think Alabama is going to lose a couple other games. Uh, the schedule for them is tougher on the road uh, than people realize. And I think that there are some teams that are rebounding this year uh, that could have beaten Alabama a year ago and didn't. Uh, Texas A&M is one. Texas is another. Uh, those are games, you know, people say, well, Alabama was two plays away from being undefeated. Yeah, they were also about two or three plays away from having four losses last year with Bryce Young. So I think they're particularly vulnerable. Um, I don't think Saban is slowing down at all. Uh, you know, I don't buy into any of that crap uh, at all. But I will say I think that Nick has really grown tired of the balancing act between the portal uh, and NIL. I, I think he would have, um, if, if you look back on it now, knowing what he should have known about what was going on with the quarterback position, we know he made a play for Drake May at North Carolina that fell short. Uh, he really got out of the sweepstakes after that. There are some quarterbacks better than the ones he's got that he could have gotten out of the portal, and he chose to get away from it. Um, I don't think he's entirely comfortable with the way uh, the game's directed right now. And I'm not talking about what's going on off the field. I'm talking about what's going on on. Uh, he's going to go back to his roots and be more defensive-oriented and more downhill running. Uh, oriented, which is the basis of really what he was prior to the time uh, Lane Kiffin and, and Steve Sarkeesian each joined him as assistant coaches. Uh, that's that's what I think they're going to do. Um, but we'll see. I think LSU is more diversified. I think they've got more skilled people, and they damn sure have the best quarterback room. And I think they're going to be in a position to win more games in the West to, to be your Western Division champion uh, than Alabama. But I'm not I'm not predicting an LSU win at Alabama. I'm not. Okay, uh, let me say this about Auburn. That's one of those teams along with – let me say this about Auburn. Sure. A&M is not the only surprise team. I think Auburn is going to win eight games this year. Yeah, I'm with you, Tim. I said seven. I said that Hugh Freeze is going to win seven games in his first year. I, I think I, I they're going to beat Texas A&M. I think you be shortchanging them. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
That's bold. And I will say this, too, Tim. You took the words right out of my mouth about talking about Auburn because that was one of the questions that I did have. At the end of the year, before we go to our 12-team college playoff system in divisionless football mm-hmm. in the SEC, can Georgia and will Georgia ultimately make that three-peat and make history here prior to the AP poll coming out? Well, I mean, it's hard to argue against it because their competition is so weak. And and I don't mean just the non-conference. I mean the conference. Uh, I mean, it's wh- where do you see a loss in there? Uh, Tennessee? I, Hooker's gone. And, and, and I know that they're high on Milton, but, I mean, I just, no, I don't see that. I, I'm, I actually think that, Tennessee might be a little overrated and Kentucky underrated uh, in the East this year. Uh, Georgia, if, if, if they don't get it done, fellas, and, and I'm, I'm thinking they will get all the way uh, to the championship game this year, but I think what's going to happen to them this time around is they're going to need a team, whether it's Ohio State or Michigan, either one. Uh, but I like Michigan this year, I do. Nothing um, wrong with that. I like it, the fact... I like the quarterback. I like, I like, and I think they're going to have a chip on their shoulder after what's happened to Harbaugh. Uh, I don't think his missing the first four games is a big deal, but he can use that emotionally with his team. But I, I think when Georgia is, they're going to be in so many blowouts. They're going to be cruising so much this season that by the time they get to a game against an opponent that can really smack them in the mouth and go toe-to-toe, I think they might be stunned. And when I say go toe-to-toe, I don't mean physically. I mean with big plays, with explosive plays, with guys that are as good athletically as they might be. And and I think either Michigan or Ohio State are those teams. Love it, love uh, it. Tim Brando, yep. can't thank you enough for your time here on WNSP 105.5. Always a pleasure and a privilege to talk to a Hall of Famer. How can everyone follow your tremendous coverage of not only on Fox Sports, but in general, in talking and tweeting or Xing every single day? <laughs> well, it's at Tim Brando, whether you call it X or the, or the Twitter sphere, uh, or Timmy V on Fox and Instagram, uh, and you can also catch me at uh, Facebook as well. I, and I love to engage, so I'll, if, I will talk back. I won't just talk. I will talk back. <laughs> Love it. Love it, Tim Brando. Can't thank you enough for always being generous with your time, and we look forward to catching up with you probably a couple of weeks into the college football season. Thanks, fellas. Look forward to it. Tim Brando, Hall of Fame broadcaster. You used to hear his voice, SEC, on CBS. Now he's on Fox Sports, but never short of an opinion coming out of Tim Brando's mouth. The final drive will be right back. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. We are back on the final drive. Brother Brando has left the pulpit. <laughs> Y'all can make your way out to the front for some fellowship. Man, he had everyone going on an emotional roller coaster right there. Yeah, yeah, we love what you're saying. Wait, no, no, we hate that. That Auburn take, ha- 
Eight wins <laughs> for Auburn. That's right. Eight wins is what he thinks Hugh Freeze can get in year one. Yeah, he, he, I don't know. We'll see, man. But, hey, look, so our fans, you know, they're a little upset off what Brando said there about Auburn. Another guy who's upset, Greg McElroy. Greg McElroy was asked by Connor O'Gara on his podcast about the Cam Newton loss, the Cam back when they stormed back. And, you know, we have a short segment here, but we're about to get with Chris Gordy on Locked On SEC, and we're going to play that clip for you and uh, see what he has to say about it. Do you remember that game, Corey? <laughs> yeah, I do, brother. It's not one of my favorite memories, but I do remember. See, my, my favorite college football memories are the worst memories of Alabama fans. I'm not even an Auburn guy. I'm a fan of chaos. 24 nothing and losing that lead, that's about as much chaos as you can get in an Iron Bowl. That's right. Mm, man, I love that. So, I love that kick six. Ooh, I love that. I love that stuff. Not that happened? A kick six? Oh, you got hit with that men in black stick. <laughs> Wait, what? Where am I? <laughs> the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back to start our number two. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC, will be joining us. The Sound of Mobile presents for the win. The final drive. No, they didn't. Oh my gracious! Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win. Yes. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable! Welcome to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty joined by Nick Wiggins. And folks, don't forget to download the free Sound of Mobile app to any Android or Apple device that you may have so you can correspond with us here on the WNSP app. Of course, don't forget WNSP's 30th anniversary fall football party this Thursday, folks, at Heroes USA off of Hillcrest. You can register to win the 65-inch Smart television from Bailey's TV and Mattress, along with that 360-degree leather recliner from Barrow Fine Furniture. And before we were going to the break, we were talking a little bit about Greg McElroy and how sick he is over losing that comeback game to Auburn in 2010. And I know our next guest, Chris Gordy, probably does not forget about that historic Iron Bowl game. Chris, good afternoon. Hope you're staying cool, my brother, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, I actually, I had Greg McElroy on at SEC Media Days, I think it was two years ago, and I asked him at the time, you know, what's what's the, the worst loss or the toughest loss you ever had? And he he brings up that game, and you could see it in his eyes. He still It haunts him to this day that he lost that game. Like, it's, it's funny. I mean, because he's playing NFL games. He's playing a ton of different games all, throughout the years. And that's the one game he said that still, like, sticks with him, and uh, he, he just can't get over. So, yeah, it's it's one that Auburn fans will never forget. It's one that Alabama fans will never forget because of how, how it transpired. He had a little audio today, and you can check this out, see if it's very similar to the interview that you had with him. 
I mean, it, it, I'm kind of over it now. It, it took me probably like 10 years, though. I mean, oh, if really? I'm going to be completely honest, like it, it took me 10 years to not be bothered by how that game ultimately went. Maybe not quite that long, but it was a while. And, and it was still pain. I mean, it's still painful, but it, it, there's nothing that can be done about it now. And everyone's now gone on about their merry way. And, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully that's one that doesn't lead to too many sleepless nights anymore for Alabama fans. Chris, I don't know about sleepless nights. Ten years prior to, though, it probably led to some very aggravated Alabama fans and some very jubilant Auburn fans for certain. Yeah, no doubt. Because, I mean, you think of the trajectory Alabama was on. And, you know, 07 was that transition year with Saban. 08 was the year they, uh, you know, they, they I think, what, lost to Florida in the, in the SEC title game with Tim Tebow. And then 09, they, they win it and then go on to, to win the national championship. Um, yeah, the Cam Newton year is going to be that one that always – sticks in the craw of, uh, of, of Alabama fans of what could have been. And again, for Auburn fans, it'll always be the greatest season in the history of, uh, of their program. And, um, you know, for, for more or less, I, you know, I was getting into argument with somebody recently. They were asking who, who had the better one year. Was it Cam Newton or Joe Burrow for, for what they accomplished? And to me, you can't go wrong with either. I mean, I think both guys, you know, it ended phenomenally. Heisman, the national championships, the number one pick in the draft and all that. But, you know, depending on where your allegiance is, I'm sure, you know, you can fall on either side. We're talking Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC host. And, Chris, as fall camp has now become all of these SEC schools' primary focus, really when you look across the East and the West, are there any stories coming out of any of these teams camp that are surprising to you or getting any word I don't care if it's a quarterback battle a player injury anything that really sticks out to you through this first week of fall camp well the quarterback battle is still the headline obviously at, at Alabama you know I still think you know Ole Miss they still say it's a battle I still think it's going to be Jackson Dart uh, A&M I think here in about seven to ten days they'll announce Connor Wegman as their guy um, and, and then Auburn, I think it's going to be Peyton Thorne, but it sounds like Hugh Freeze is gonna, it's not going to rush this. He's going to take it down to the wire. So, yeah, really, you know, I think Alabama's the only one that's up in the air. And, you know, we've been hearing the last few days that Jalen Milrose building a little bit more momentum and, you know, could be the guy. But, you know, we know Ty Simpson is still very talented and, and going to push him. And I think we could go into week one and still see, and see both guys play before they, you know, decide exactly who's going to start that week two game against Texas. But, yeah, Alabama quarterback battle still very much one we're looking at. Um, and then the other one is just injuries. You know, we're starting to have some injuries happen around the league. Uh, Texas A&M lost one of their uh, dynamic tight ends in Donovan Green. He's injured and out for the season. Uh, Arkansas just lost one of their starting receivers in Samuel Mbake for the season. And then uh, at South Carolina, Antoine Juice Wells, you know, one of the best wide receivers in the SEC. I think he was fifth in receiving yards last year. Uh, he's banged up with a lower body injury. Now they say – they expect he's going to be ready to go by week one when they play North Carolina, but that's that's just a couple weeks away. And I'll tell you right now, guys, if, if Juice Wells ain't playing that day, South Carolina ain't beating Greg May in North Carolina. I know that. So they're going to need him to get into a shootout with North Carolina if they have any chance to win that game. So just a couple injuries there to keep an eye on. And, uh, you know, again, for the most part, we've at least avoided any catastrophic injuries in the SEC so far. 
Chris, that first AP poll came out uh, yesterday, and it had, you know, about where everyone, I think, predicted everyone to fall. Georgia won. Alabama, their lowest ranking since 09. But, hey, if your worst in a decade is still top four, that's not too bad. LSU right them at f right underneath them at five. Is it just going to be all chalk at the end of the year, you think, where it's, you know, Georgia, then Bama, then LSU? Or is there any other SEC team that has any hope of having a big breakout year and potentially creeping up there with them? Well, you, you got to think this thing out, you know, and how it could play out. If LSU can go, you know, let's say undefeated and win the SEC West, but they lose that to Georgia in the SEC championship game, I think LSU has a great chance to get in as, you know, as, as the four seed into the playoff. Uh, same thing goes for Alabama. Let's say they run the table or they have one loss, um, you know, or, or, and then beat Georgia in the SEC title game. You know, it's a repeat of what we had a couple years ago where, where both Georgia and Bama make it, make it again. So there's a lot of different ways it could play out. But the, the thing that, that stinks for, for, you know, when we talk about how the season is going to play out, Michigan – Michigan's got the easiest schedule of anybody I've seen. And, and basically, if Ohio State can reload and, and be what they're supposed to be, we're going to be talking about possibly Ohio State and Penn, Ohio State and Michigan being undefeated when they meet at the end of the year. And the loser of that game is going to be sitting there looking pretty, going, hey, committee, we've been ranking the top four all year long. No reason to drop us, right? So um, I, the committee's going to have a hard decision to make because what happens if you have a one-loss ACC champion Clemson, a one-loss you you know Pac-12 champion USC, and then you have you know a one-loss Pac-10 or Big Ten champ in let's just say Michigan, and Ohio State sitting there sexy at 11 and one, and then let's say you have you know Georgia is, is ran the table at 13-0 and Alabama's at uh, 12 and one. I, like I don't know who gets in and who doesn't there. That's where the committee's going to have a real hard time trying to figure this thing out. So you ask if we're going to go chalk? Yes. Because this thing always goes chalk. It's always it's always been like the same seven to eight teams that's been in the playoff every year. Um, I don't think Oklahoma's going to be in the picture. Texas could. Texas can certainly run, the, run through the Big 12. The question is, does a one-loss Texas as a Big 12 champ, do they have more cachet than uh, you know an SEC runner-up or a Big 10 runner-up? So that, that's where it's going to get really, really interesting. But, yeah. It kind of stinks. You know, I, I got Phil Steele is on the show with me tomorrow, and I, I asked him, I said, who could be that TCU this year that, you know, is a team that could get hot and make a run? He thinks Wisconsin is, is a team to keep an eye on, but I, I just don't know, man. I mean, he, you know, a two-lane, like if they ran the table in the AAC, could they make a case to make in the playoff? I just think it's going to be tough for any non-Power 5 team to make that kind of run. And so, yeah, you ask, is it going to go chalk? Yeah, most likely. We're, go go. Go pick uh, your final four at the end of the year, and you're probably picking from the top ten of that eight people that came out yesterday. Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC, joining us here on the final drive. And Chris had Tim Brando on moments ago, and Tim Brando said, man, look out for Michigan. He thinks that Coach Harbaugh can finally get over that hump. And we were talking yesterday. I personally feel if I'm Coach Harbaugh, 
unless I know in my heart of hearts that I don't plan on being at Michigan next year, I go ahead and take the four games versus East Carolina and UNLV and Rutgers and I forget who the fourth opponent is. If a suspension is coming, even though he is not admitted to any wrongdoing, go ahead and take that and kind of let that be a preventative nature because Michigan's going to go 4-0 with that schedule for sure. Yeah, I, I think the school's of blind is the fourth uh, fourth game you were looking at. Um, it, you know, it, it, their schedule's a joke. It's funny, as you were rattling off the opponents, I'm like, you're right. If Harbaugh had any brains, he would take it and, and sit out the four games and, and be done with it. Instead, I think what he's looking at is it's, you know, this team is loaded, and he thinks, you know, this is a championship-caliber team. I think he's looking at it saying, I need to be there every week for this team and make sure we're undefeated. So um, I get it, but I'm with you. He should have taken the punishment now. But, you know, let's say they revisit this thing and they decide to suspend him next year. Well, that schedule gets a lot tougher with the Big Ten adding a bunch of Pac-12 schools, and it's going to get even more brutal. So uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, Michigan's very good. I just, again, we won't know how good they are until they actually play real opponents because – yeah, when, if they're going to be Rutgers 45-3, to three, like what, what does that really tell us about how you look at the end of the year facing a, a Georgia or, or an Alabama or a Clemson? We, we just won't know until we get there. That other game, again, that I forgot about was Bowling Green. So they forget about Bowling Green. Yeah, there you have it, Chris. And now I, I will say when you do look at the SEC – you know, Commissioner Sankey has done a phenomenal job of his leadership, unlike, unlike what we've seen in the Pac-12. I don't think addition is coming anytime soon for the SEC. But when it does come, would you look to say, hey, we want to add a couple of ACC schools like Florida State or Miami in that footprint, or would you rather branch out to the Raleigh, North Carolina side of things, Georgia Tech, North Carolina State, or North Carolina? What do you think the next step for the SEC is when it does decide to expand? Well, that's the thing is I don't know if there is a next step. The problem is the ACC – you know, unlike the Pac-12, the ACC actually has a stronghold on their teams. Uh, they're under contract. And, you know, I was talking to somebody about the Florida State situation. I think he said they're under contract through, like, 2036 or something. The, the, the next TV deal, I think, is up in 2030. But it, it's like they're not going anywhere for a while. Florida State, Miami, they can't afford the buyout to get out of the stranglehold of the ACC. So it, some of the ACC is going to hold pretty strong with who they have. And so – uh, yeah, look, I've, I've been told the SEC would, would be very interested in a North Carolina. Um, you know, pretty strong football program, obviously a dominant basketball program. Uh, brings the Jordan brand into the fold. You know, there's a lot of stuff to like about North Carolina. Uh, and then I was told Virginia would be, you know, something that the SEC would like to add into the footprint. Again, a dominant basketball, uh, you know, pretty dominant basketball program, baseball program. Football's been down in recent years, but, they, you know, they've had years in the past where they've been strong. Um, you know, th those are two schools to keep an eye on. But, again, if the ACC is going to hold everybody firmly to their contractual agreements, I, I don't know. It sounds like the ACC is going to hold strong. And if you're, um, if you're the SEC, I don't know where you really go to add because you're not really interested in Sunbelt teams or, you know, teams from the AAC or things like that. You know, it would be a downgrade to say, oh, let's add a Memphis or let's add a – 
a two-lane or something like that. So, yeah, unless one of those bigger brands is able to branch off from the ACC and get out of their contract, I, I, don't, I don't think anything's going to happen here. But you never know when you get lawyers involved, anything can happen. Absolutely. And Chris Gordy, you know, we're one week closer to kickoff. Of course, the SEC with Vanderbilt opening up with – Hawaii, which is, you know, it's football. I don't care what you say, and it's SEC football because Vanderbilt is still representing the Southeastern Conference. And I know, like I say, it's a little bit closer to that time, and we always appreciate you taking time to join us here on the final drive. How can everyone follow your outstanding coverage of being locked on the SEC? Yeah, I think that's how ESPN's promoting that game. It's Vanderbilt versus Hawaii. <laughs> hey, guys, it's football, question mark. That's how they're promoting it. But anyway, uh, yeah, Locked On SEC is uh, where you can find us, where you get your podcast, we're on YouTube now. And uh, definitely we'll check out tomorrow's episode. It'll drop overnight. Uh, Phil Steele going to join us. We call him the godfather of college football. We'll talk all SEC with him. So uh, make sure you guys check that out. Absolutely. And Tim Brando as well, he made a comment about those magazines. They probably sell more preseason magazines here in the state of Alabama here within the last 17 to 20 years because of Alabama's success um, within Phil Steele's or Lindy's magazine. So I thought that was a, a pretty interesting comment comment by Tim Brando. But my mom, she'll probably shoot me a quick zinger too because she's one she's a Vanderbilt Commodore graduate. What do you mean, question mark? <laughs> they won the national championship <laughs> in bowling and baseball. That's right. Vanderbilt's legit. Legit, Chris. Well, I'll tell you guys this, but the Houston Texans last year were abysmal, and their slogan was, feels like football. And I, and I remember when they were getting blown out, I looked at my friend, I said, you know, this feels like football. You know, it's, it's just an awful slogan to have. Vanderbilt, hey, guys, I mean, it's football, right? Like, that's how they should be selling that game. Because nobody else, like, if we weren't stars in the desert looking for football, nobody's watching Vanderbilt Hawaii middle of the season. We're only going to watch it because it's week zero. Love it. Love it, Chris. Again, next week we'll be one week closer. We'll get updated on what's going on around the SEC in the fall camps. Can't thank you enough for joining us here on the final drive, and we'll talk to you again very soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Chris Gordy joining us here on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, always – at the 4.30 hour, we have Carl Francis, Director of Communications and Strategic Partnerships with the NFL Players Association. A big-time announcement right. by the Reese's Senior Bowl was on deck. And we'll talk a little bit about the Senior Bowl 75 roster predictions yeah, because so. there's a special way they'll go about celebrating Senior Bowl 75 in February as the Senior Bowl quickly approaching right. as well. You don't want to miss our predictions for Senior Bowl 75 coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Bill Hancock, Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. drive myself and Corey Labounty. before we went to the break we were talking about the senior bowl they partnered with the NFL Players Association for their 75th anniversary and they announced that they're going to do a 
75th anniversary all senior bowl team now on that 50th team you had people like who joe namath bo jackson obviously you can't replace those names so what they decided they're going to do is they're going to make a brand new team based off the players who played in the senior bowl from 1998 to present day 2023 so we're not you know erasing history but now we're wondering okay there's been a lot of talent to come through the Senior Bowl in those past 25 years, right? Not, not only that, what you what you start looking at being active in the NFL yep. from 98 to 2023. So if you look at active players that were in the NFL from 1998 up until this year that were Senior Bowl members anytime, I, th I think that the list that's going to be able to be voted upon by the public opening up September 4th that's going to create and generate a lot of buzz because yeah. there's going to be some great names that are going to be omitted That's right. I from mean, this list. You can only have one quarterback, right? And so just off the top of my head, who do you have? You have Donovan McNabb. You Not got, only that. You have Phillip Rivers. You're looking at Jalen Hurts. Josh you, Allen. You're looking at Josh Allen. You're looking at Herbert, Justin Herbert, and, who was – part of the game and you're saying that it's fan voting right absolutely so you know there goes a little look that's a big thing you know i'm an nba guy big with the all-star game the voting people get mad at you know oh my gosh why is anthony davis in here or whatever are is there going to be some recency bias where first off out of all those quarterbacks who do you think it should be i for me it's a no-brainer out of the list I, from being active in the nfl from 1998 through 2023, uh, just too many great names. I'm not going to sit there and you put can't one pick name. One? No, it, 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 there's just I, there's just too many. I think it can, to omit. And, and well, I will say they're this: they're going to omit. Is what I, I'm saying. It's going to happen. I, I, I'm I'm favor. You know, I'm a Dolphins guy. So so my man Dan Marino was still in the NFL in 1998. So, uh, you know, I, Dan Marino is one of the biggest names in the history of NFL football from the quarterback position. Yeah. So if you want to base it on that, Dan Marino, an alum of the Senior Bowl, always comes down in his di player director role with the Miami Dolphins. You always see him on the sidelines. That's right. That To me, that I'm going to go. If you had to ask me to pick one, I'm going to go with the Dolphins and Dan Marino. See, I wasn't even thinking like you're thinking, yeah, like right at the very beginning. of, But see, that. I'm thinking of the voters, right? They're seeing that whole list. For me, I'd say it'd be Phillip Rivers because he had his whole long career during that time frame, that 98 to 2023 time frame. You know, he's top 10 in just about every passing statistic all time that there is, at least top 15. He lives down here where the Senior Bowl's at. That might give him a nudge, but... When it comes to that voting, do you think they're going to be like, oh, Jalen Hurts was just in the Super Bowl. It's him. Do you, like, I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? It, it's going to be a tough call. And, and I know that Senior Bowl's executive committee will also vote, but they're fans too. So right. as far as from an executive committee, if you have a tie, I guess that's where when you go in and say, all right, as an executive committee, we're going to have that ultimate and last say-so on a tiebreaker process. But when you do open it up, I think that, you know, what you do in fairness is probably list 
every player without question that won a most valuable player award because sure. they definitely deserved it within that game. So if you take the game's MVPs, I don't know if that's the asterisk qualification that you could have there to yeah. where they would already be nominated because some of the game's MVPs that made it to the NFL didn't have a tremendous NFL career. Yeah, but, again, I, it's it's Senior Bowl 75, right, not I, NFL That's right. 75. So I, w I wonder how they're going to – and maybe we can ask our next guest this, if he has any opinion on the matter. What's going to weigh more? What they did in college to get that Senior Bowl invite, is that what we're ha giving the most weight? Or is it going to be what did you do in your NFL career based off how you were able to sell yourself in the Senior Bowl. Me, personally, that's how I view it. I think it's like the Senior Bowl, you use that tool to set yourself up for success, and then how did you run with it? And then how do we, you know, uh, pay our respects now? Well, I will say this. You're not going to get into the Senior Bowl Hall of Fame unless you had an NFL-type of career in which you did something that was duly noted yeah. that stood out with your accomplishments. Because when you start looking at the past Senior Bowl Hall of Fame inductees, there's some very powerful moments, some very powerful memories, and a very prolonged career that you've established in the NFL. So to me, there lies the difference in being enshrined in the Senior Bowl Hall of Fame versus putting together a uh, senior bowl 75 well, and you know it's also tricky so they've announced like we're gonna do it for this 25 year period what that means is if whatever player doesn't make this team they will never make another team because the next one will be from 2023 till 2058 right that's obviously way far in the future but so if you're not making this selection now you're never gonna make it so i say it's high stakes right but I mean, if if it does go, especially, and that's another thing, because it's vote, man, like we're giving a lot of power people because all of a sudden if we pick Jalen Hurts, sorry, Philip Rivers, sorry, Dan Marino, you know, sorry, Josh Allen. Now, I, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but I do think that they did the best selection uh, going this way instead of, you know, all right, get Joe Namath out of here. You can't, you can't do that, you know. The NFL Players Association will get a little bit more familiar about what that is because a lot of people don't know just behind the name, what it means, the brand behind it. We'll talk to Carl Francis, Director of Communications and Strategic Partnerships, coming up next here on The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNST Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty joined by my main man, Nick Wiggins, and it's a pleasure to be making his debut here on the final drive, Carl Francis, the NFLPA's <laughs> Director of Communications and Strategic Partnerships. Carl, how's it going this afternoon? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it, guys. Hey, it's our pleasure for you to be joining us here on the final drive, and we're giving you a call this afternoon because I tell you what, there's a tremendous partnership 
that has just been established with the Reese's Senior Bowl. Of course, the Reese's Senior Bowl getting ready to celebrate its 75th anniversary this coming February. And I know that the NFL Players Association has jumped on board to be one of the sponsors of this 75th anniversary special. Absolutely. And we are overjoyed and, and privileged to uh, join forces with Jim and his team to celebrate uh, such a tremendous uh, honor and being a part of such a tremendous game with so many historical uh, pivotal points in his journey. And we're just glad to uh, partner with them to uh, present such a great opportunity this upcoming February. Well, Carl, one of the things that so many people always <coughs> ask is what is the NFLPA and why is it so important for the Reese's Senior Bowl, especially having prospective NFL prospects and former NFL players that have played in this Senior Bowl, the first one being back in 1950 in Jacksonville, why it's so important for the NFLPA to be affiliated with the Reese's Senior Bowl? Well, first of all, we are the exclusive collecting bargaining agent for all active NFL players. We represent their interests and their wages, working conditions, and health and safety. So any opportunity for us to align ourselves with any active player, more importantly, or any prospective active player is key to our mission and what we do as an organization. So partnering with the up-and-coming stars of our league, being able to spend time with them, interact with them, engage them, educate them, and just share information and resources with them and celebrate them at the, at the, right, at the same time with them entering their uh, next career path is a great opportunity for us. And with it being the 75th year, it makes it a double bonus for them being a part of such a special game. I guess one of the bigger questions as far as understanding how the NFL PA works, is it is it very similar to what the collegiate athletes are dealing with with the EA sports game and just trying to receive proper wages or or properly being funded? Because, again, one of my favorite games growing up as a kid was Tecmo Bowl and Super Tecmo Bowl. And I know there were so many famous former athletes that played in the Senior Bowl that were featured and showcased in Tecmo Bowl and Super Tecmo Bowl. And I know that's something that in today's day and age, including Madding, it's endorsed by the NFLPA. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Tecmo Bowl aspect of it, and that's our marketing piece of it because we've negotiated rights uh, to actually handle and manage the rights of any players that are used in any games, activations, licensings, or marketing opportunities in group of six or more. So that's why you see our game affiliated with a lot of trading cards, collectibles. Uh, we work with them a lot of the times, and more so uh, the video companies. And we've been associated with EA Sports forever, and uh, they're one of our main partners. So that's why you see us a lot feature in the game and around the game. And we've been around, as you just mentioned, Technobowl. That was a very pivotal moment for us uh, back in the early 90s to control those assets, to allow players to generate revenue for themselves uh, so they can make their fair share of the money as well. But on the flip side, the NFLPA is a union. We represent the players. There's not, it's non-negotiable in terms of our fundamental principle act 
activity is representing them in their field of work as a as an employee of the National Football League. So that's exactly what we do. And working with our future players puts us right in line of providing them with resources as they enter the next phase of their football career. We're talking with Carl Francis, Director of Communications and Strategic Partnerships with the NFL Players Association. Obviously, look, that partnership, you guys with the Senior Bowl, it just it makes too much sense, right? Like peanut butter and jelly. I, I am curious, though. Um, so let's say I'm a Senior Bowl player this year compared to a Senior Bowl player last year. What are the specific benefits and uh, with you guys partnering uh, with the Senior Bowl, what are they going to get out of it uh, this year with you guys joining on? Well, in general, being a part of the 75th anniversary, there are a number of different activations that are going to take place. I don't want to get into it specifically, but the Senior Bowl itself speaks volumes. Let's just say that. That's right. You know, getting a Senior Bowl invite, we all know, is like the the cream of the crop when it comes to getting an opportunity to play at the Elite All-Star Game and be evaluated by the NFL as a prospective player. And by us coming in, providing the resources and the programming that we get, partnering with the Senior Bowl so they can understand who we are as an organization, uh, the services and resources that we provide as an organization, and really spending time talking to them about being a business person as you lead, as you kind of lead yourself into your next phase. Because a lot of players are starting to understand, particularly collegiate players being in NIL space, is that they're becoming business-minded individuals earlier than they were even five to six years ago. And so with us being there, you know, to kind of guide them through that process, in addition to if they have issues with contract advisors, things of that nature, or just any education around that area, and we're there to support them. But just having that interaction with them and being able to speak with them to help them with that transition into the National Football League, it makes it even better for them. I will say this, Carl, one of the hardest things is going to be for the fans in the Senior Bowl Executive Committee when they open up voting on September the 4th because you're looking at being able to choose from active NFL players in the NFL from 1998 all the way through 2023, there are so many great athletes that have come through and played in the NFL in between that 98 and 2023 window that played in the Senior Bowl. Sometimes it may be a, a, a situation where there's going to be some great players that are even overlooked or forgot about yeah. just because of the most recent success. Because when you look at it, of course, Justin Herbert signs a record-setting NFL contract. Jalen Hurts, within that same three-month window, the same record-setting contract. You And that's just the quarterback position. There are so many more positions that have to be filled for this wonderful 75th roster that the NFL Players Association is helping to present and sponsor. And you know what's fun about that? I think that's a good problem to have because it creates a lot of – uh, competitive and debatable uh, players and conversations. And isn't that what we do as fans right. of our game? Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what fans love is to sit back and debate who is the best running back, who is the best defensive back? I mean, uh, there may be some folks that say, uh, you know, one player is better than the other. And they're both great players in the single bowl, uh, excuse me, in the National Football League. But also, we want to celebrate some of our players who have served as officers for the NFLPA, players such as Brian.
Brian Dawkins, who was an executive committee for the NFLPA, Richard Sherman, who was one of our leaders uh, as an executive committee member who just recently retired. You have Aeneas Williams, who was a player rep. Demarcus Ware, uh, most recently inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. He was a player rep. So we have a lot of players who served as leaders in our union, helping establish policy that players are playing in today that have played in the Senior Bowl and has gone on to have successful and incredible careers. So I'm looking forward to the chatter and the conversations around the best of the best for the 75th year anniversary team. We're speaking with Carl Francis. He's the Director of Communications and Strategic Partnerships for the NFL Players Association. And, you know, being a former uh, here locally in Mobile, Alabama, they're called the Municipal Park Raiders. You learn about the the excellence <coughs> tradition there. The black and gold. Kenny Stabler comes right here from the Gulf Coast in Foley High School. And you learn so much growing up about Kenny Stabler and what he meant to the game. And, of course, everyone who loves football knows about John Madden and what he meant to the Raiders organization. But someone who was near and dear to the NFL PA celebrated a happy heavenly birthday it's gene upshaw and you see gu on the raiders uniforms here in the helmets and in the past and i know mr upshaw meant so much to the nflpa as well as you mentioned richard sherman being one of those former presidents also look it words cannot ex- describe uh what gene upshaw has meant to the business of football and national football league uh, not only as a player for his 18, 17, 18-year career, but more so as a leader of men, leader of players throughout his journey from 1982 uh, to most to to his most recent uh, passing, and how he has changed the scope of the way the game is played today. And so, uh, with Gene Upshaw being a part and mentioning those conversations, it just means so much as you mentioned, especially today on his birthday. Uh, but also, as we move into new leadership, uh, today we, we're celebrating our, our new leader that has just came on board a few weeks ago, Lloyd Howe, who is taking the realm now, uh, taking the helm and, and moving it forward with all ideas, uh, programs, and just suggestions on how to take what's been moved to here and move it further for on behalf of our players and future players to come. Well, Carl, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule with the huge breaking information today that the NFL Players Association will be the presenting sponsor for the upcoming 75th edition of the Reese's Senior Bowl here in Mobile, Alabama, February 3rd. Look forward to, Lord willing, getting a chance to meet you face-to-face, get you back here at the station on WNSP 105.5 during Senior Bowl week and all the tremendous activities that Jim Nagy and the Reese's Senior Bowl crew have planned for the 75th anniversary of the Senior Bowl. Thank you for having me. Uh, we really, I appreciate it. We appreciate it as an organization. We look forward to working with Jim and his team on a on a great year in this special, special season of the 75th anniversary. And I can't wait to come in the studio with you guys and meet you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Carl Francis joining us this afternoon here on The Final Drive. He's the Director of Communications and over strategic partnerships for the NFL Players Association. The final drive wrapping up our number two coming up. And don't forget, at five o'clock, 
It is the debut of Talking Football That's with right. Scott Hunter right. and been, Tracy we've been talking Turner. Football. We've been talking football. They'll now be talking talking football. football. That's That's right. right. That's right. I got to get it in for Scott as he's in his way to the studio this afternoon. Talking football here. I got to keep my ear open uh, because they're going to be knocking on the door any minute now. (laughs) Absolutely. Looking forward to bring you that at five o'clock. But to wrap up our number two of the final drive, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the final drive with myself and Corey LaBounty. And look, everybody, like you just heard Mark say in that promo, we're getting a little closer to that fall football preview party at Heroes on Old Shell this Thursday from 3 to 6. Come win some prizes, come meet some special guests. But look, we're previewing fall. Fall's right around the corner, but it almost feels like Halloween is right around the corner because it's like some corpses have rose from the dead and are back alive. Ezekiel Elliott on the Patriots. Dalvin Cook on the New York Jets. Both of those signings happening, what, within an hour yesterday evening right after the show? Corey, what do you think about this move? Is this a big move or is this a... It's a big name from yesteryear, and now it's just an average guy. It's a predicted move by Dalvin Cook. One year, $8.6 million contract signed with the New York Jets. And there were some rumblings about two or three weeks ago prior to Hard Knocks even starting with the Jets. And this is just another angle for Hard Knocks to go ahead and cover tonight on another new episode of Hard Knocks featuring the New York Jets. But no surprise there. I think that it's not Super Bowl or bust for the New York Jets. But Some would for, say otherwise. For, for them to make the playoffs, I think that this is a great step in the right direction again for them. Adding Because, again, I don't think Dalvin Cook is anywhere near done. I know that he's had a couple of injuries. As Speaking of injuries, I, I'll, I'll jump to one that kind of happened a little while ago is Justin Ross, who played at Central of Phoenix City here in the state of Alabama, went on to have an explosive national championship game for the Clemson Tigers. Missed the entire 2022 season with a foot injury. Well, guess what happens to him today? Oh, man. He's carted off the field again with another injury. But you do look at Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott, two backs, and Cook settles for the $8.6 million. Now you're looking at Josh Jacobs. I think that he'll soon here within the next couple of weeks make that return to the Las Vegas Raiders along with Taylor, the running back that's holding out Jonathan Taylor for the Colts. But Ezekiel Elliott going to the Patriots, uh, it's no surprise there. But Dalvin Cook going to the Jets, no surprise there. I think the value of the running back has been the talked-about surprise across the NFL. Well, and look, you look at the Jets now. Brees Hall, who got hurt last year but was electric when he played. Now you've got Rodgers. You've got Wilson, the rookie of the year, at wide receiver. That Jets offense is legit, and you got Sauce Gardner and Mosley over there on defense. You say it's not Super Bowl or bust? I mean, you. I mean, look, are you really? what no. are the chances you win the Super Bowl? But it's, it's at least AFC championship or bust, right? If they don't make the AFC championship, it's a Playoffs failure of a season. Playoffs or bust to me. No. Playoffs no. or bust. It, 
everyone expects them to make the playoffs, right? Do they? Yes. With the money they spend, of course, you, you want to make the to. playoffs. You bring I, in Aaron Rodgers. You got all this elite young talent. You bring in now. You bring in this guy to be your second running back, Dalvin Cook, the guy who was leading the offense. Uh, you know, on the run game at least for the Minnesota Vikings last year, and they're what thirteen win season? No, it, it's I think it's I'm championship go, I'm lowering game the or bar, bust. brother. No. I'm lowering the bar. Come on, I'm lowering the bar for the Jets. It's playoffs or bust. I know the bright lights of New York are there. Playoffs are bust for Miami. No, nah, no. Nah. Win a playoff nah. game or bust for Miami. No, see, you're you're twisted. You're getting it twisted. Miami needs to make the playoffs. The Jets got to win a playoff game or two. And the Bills really – it's Bills or Super Bowl or bust. And then you've got the Jets one notch below, championship or bust. Then you've got the Dolphins win a playoff game. And then you got the Patriots in that division – just win some games. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will say, I, I, I still believe, though, it is playoffs or bust for the Jets because you do have an elite spending roster. You, you've gone all out to, to provide Salah with the Coach Salah the type of money he needs to be successful. And I, I just don't know if that is going to be the case yet or not. Um, for the Jets, so you you do think they're going to make it to the to the AFC Championship? They have to. That's what I'm saying. They have to. That's the expectation. You don't bring in Aaron Rodgers to do something that you almost that you know half the league does, right? How many teams make the playoffs now? Fourteen. Yeah, there's expansion. So no, they have got to make the championship game. That is the goal for them. But I tell you what the goal for us is. Yeah. I'm trying to get better at these trains. I'm trying to pull up some Corey LeBounty transitions. <laughs> Look, here we go. They just came in the door, hooping and hollering. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner. Talking talkin football. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to be talking football with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner, Nick. Because, again, it's been a little while since we've been able to catch up with them and get the thoughts That's on right. how fall practice has started. Yep, and we'll, we'll see what they're thinking about this season. We'll talk about maybe that Greg McElroy story, see if they had some heartbreaking losses that maybe they're still carrying till this day. But, look, we're going to get into it all in this next hour. You're listening to The Final Drive with myself, Nick Wiggins, and Corey Labounty. <laughs> Wait is almost over, and it's time to start talking football. Stay with us as Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner discuss Alabama, Auburn, South Alabama, the SEC, and college football around the country. Brought to you by Bayou Fasteners and Jordan Automotive. Call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the WNSP app. Welcome to our number three in talking football. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner joining us here. And we're excited to have you guys in as we're getting ready for the 2023 season. Our last in the SEC with 
Eastern and Western divisions. We're getting ready to go to divisionless football in 2024. So I know that there are plenty of not only changes coming into 2024, but in 2023, there's some college football rules changes, yep, Scott, that I know you're excited to talk about. Well, we got the um, I got a list of the rules right here today. We'll be talking about those as we go along today. There's quite a few of them, more than uh, you can cover probably in five or ten minutes. But uh, these are important to the game. Uh, fans really haven't, I, I think, heard a lot about them. So we'll we'll talk about those, you know, in, in talking football and. And once again, I want to welcome all the listeners to Talking Football. This is, uh, gosh, I even hate to say it. It's been so many years. We started in Lee Shavania and started, and I, I started in 1981, so that makes it 42 years out. Man, yeah, plenty of we've time been around and, a while. And, and no question about it. And, and it's always the great thing about talking football. You can give us a call, 251-694-1055, 251-694-1055. Actually, we Corey, we want enjoy. you to call. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we don't have a whole lot of outside guests. That's right. We like to get as many calls and answer as many questions as we can. And I know those calls will continue to roll in, especially when we put toe to leather because they'll definitely – Definitely be some controversies. There'll be some decision making from the depth standpoint. And I know going into SEC Media Days, which is really the kickoff of the 2023 football season in Nashville, Tennessee, Nick Wiggins and I and Michael Bronner and Stephen Rue had a chance to attend on behalf of WNSP and talking to Nick Saban and talking to Hugh Freeze and some of the players. Nick Saban, of course, the biggest question going into the fall camp is going to be the quarterback situation. Well, guess what? The biggest situation for Auburn going into the fall camp is going to be the quarterback situation along with the offensive line situation. And since we've ended spring football, Scott, Alabama has had a fifth edition of quarterbacks. We knew it was going to be tough to find that guy in the four quarterbacks that were there in the spring. Now you add a fifth and Tyler Buckner transferring in from Notre Dame, not having a chance to have a spring, but having the experience of playing at Notre Dame, Nick Saban and five quarterbacks. Well, as we know, only one of them, there's only one ball. And so only one of them will get a chance on, on a certain play. Now, obviously they can rotate out some, and I think that's what will happen in the middle Tennessee state game, which is, more of a, uh, if you want to call it like an NFL exhibition game, or should be, um, for to put one, two, or even three quarterbacks out there and see how they do. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the course of that game they don't play uh, th the three quarterbacks. But as it moves down toward Texas, uh, I think Nick and, and Tommy will all begin to decide uh, who it is they're going to go predominantly with in the Texas game. And a lot of that will be determined by what they look like in the Middle Tennessee State game. As I, you know, many fans have asked me uh, since spring training was over and we finished talking spring football, and many fans have asked me about the quarterback situation. And I tell them, yeah, the coaches are going to know pretty much coming out of spring training who your outside linebacker is or your right guard is going to be or who's going to be the, the receiver lineup and all and so forth. Um, but, you know, the, the quarterback position is totally and completely different 
And that is a position that you don't win in practice. You don't win it in a scrimmage. You win it by looking good and playing well in a game with people in the stands. So uh, that's the way I won the job is playing well in a game. I didn't beat the other guy out in practice. Uh, I beat him out because I played better in a game. And I think that's what will happen with this quarterback lineup uh, that we have at Alabama. Corey, I mean, I was about to say that there's this fellow that's so much wiser than me in football that has said you don't win the quarterback battle in practice. You win it in a game. He knows more football, forgot more than I'll ever know. And lo and behold, Scott's here quoting him while we're talking this <laughs> afternoon. Ain't that something? <laughs> but it's exactly the same at Auburn. If anybody knows anything about the scrimmage past week, the number three guy they thought who was probably going to not get as many reps Looks like now he might be the starter, depending on what goes on this week and next week, and then in the UMass game. I don't think you'll know who Auburn's real quarterback is until they get back from California. And, you know, uh, Corey, one reason that you don't know who the quarterback is going to be coming out of spring training and going through the scrimmages, and I'll be up to scrimmage Saturday, is there? there's a, there's a couple of intangible associated with being the quarterback. And two of those right at the top are poise and confidence. And those are things you, you can't measure those. There's no statistic after the, a practice or a scrimmage that says, oh, he rated better in poise and confidence. No, you just you know it, you see it, you feel it. He exudes it to the team, uh, and that contributes a great deal to – Winning that quarterback job is poise and confidence. You know, Corey, we got a caller? No, Nick Nick's going to chime in here. He's got a question, a question. for you guys. Yeah, I so, can't see him. Oh, yeah, you're good. Let me wave my hands around. Uh, <laughs> look, so Corey and I were talking yesterday. He was thinking that Alabama is still going to be going maybe two quarterbacks by the time they're playing Texas in week two. You're saying poise and confidence. Do you not think that that maybe doesn't set them up for success, knowing like, hey, guys, you're our guy. You're our guy. We're gonna all root for you. We're all behind you. You know, if you go out there and you make mistakes, don't get shell shocked. We're behind you, ride or die. Because now it's like, oh man, all these other guys potentially might be here to replace me. Well, again, um, I, I agree with you. We probably won't really know who the quarterback is until after the Texas game. And they'll decide, but amongst them, I think Milrow obviously has, has the edge right now over Ty Simpson based on what I heard about the scrimmage last week. But back to that again, it's not determined by who looks good on, on April the 9th or 10th in, in Bryant-Denny in a scrimmage. It's determined how well they look and how well they play and the poise and confidence they exude come September the 3rd and even more so uh, is it September the 10th, the Texas game. So, uh, again, that is, that's something that you just can't see, but you can just – you more than just feel it more than you see it. And there's no question both of them want to find that guy as soon as you can because whoever's talking about, well, we're going to play two quarterbacks. There was a coach who won – 300-and-something games, he wore garnet and gold when he retired. And he said, if you have two, you don't have one. Right. And, you know, so both of them go into that first game, Middle Tennessee and UMass. They're going to throw, I think, 
at least two or three quarterbacks out there and see who looks the best in a real game. Think about, you know, a uh, guy me and you knew used to do the show with you a long time, Barry Sides, used to have the thing about somebody look like Tarzan and play like Jane. Yeah. 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 You know? yeah. Well, who would have ever picked Billy Kilmer yeah. in a 707 drill? Okay, but he won a bunch of pro oh, yeah. football yeah. games. When you it was know? third and eight, you wanted Billy. You know, and I even think about – uh, one guy was up there, uh, LaMonica, with the Raiders. How many games did Blanda come in and win in the fourth quarter when he was 44 or 45 and was the normal kicker? But it would come down to that stretch in the fourth quarter and he would make plays. That That's the guy that's going to win the confidence of the team and then he's going to be the leader and he's the one that they will follow. And there's only one way to decide that, and that's who gets up out of the foxhole and leads them over the trenches. That's it. I will say this, too, since we have talked here of talking spring football, Auburn has really strengthened its vice grip, so to speak, on recruiting because it was non-existent during the Harson era, okay? And now you have Hugh Freeze who comes in. He gets Demarcus Riddick. Then he turns around on Big Cat Weekend, gets Perry Thompson to flip from Alabama over to Auburn. And then as recently as this past weekend, you have two four-star commitments on the defensive side of the football. This was unheard of during the Harson era. And you start to see where this state to me and all eyes being on the state of Alabama from a football standpoint, this state is greater when Alabama and Auburn both are elite and there's plenty of talent nationally for both of these schools to say, I don't care if it's a three-star or five-star, we're going to develop guys in our system that are going to come in and make us undefeated when we clash in the Iron Bowl. No, there's no question on the Auburn side. You can just see what Hugh Freeze has done. I mean, he took that class that was abysmal and they wound up 18th or 20th and brought in some players. And then he brought in 20 transfers. And the starting right tackle in all likelihood is going to be uh, Gunner Britton unless uh, big big I Miller, and I because I say I because I can't pronounce the rest of his first name, yeah, who was okay. the Juco guy that Coach Thornton sort of got to switch from Ole Miss. So those two are battling out at right tackle with Britton having a little bit of the edge. Right? Then your center, Avery Jones from East Carolina, a transfer. Your left tackle, Dylan Wade from Tulsa, a transfer. Um you know, he brought in guys that have made that team. Uh, their talent level went from 40th in the country to 20th, 18th in the country. And so when you get in the top 20, as we talk about all the time, there are many upsets that happen where numbers three, four, five, whatever, get beat by number 18, 19, or 20. So it gives you a puncher's chance. And now here for the recruiting into the – 23 and then to then February 24, they went from 54th to 47th until after they picked up uh, the, the guy on, on Saturday, uh, T.J. Lindsey, I believe is his name, mm -hmm. defensive tackle from IMG. Yes. Uh, they're 14th, and they have three guys here probably before season starts. Uh, I think his name is Cam Franklin, a, a five-star defensive end from Mississippi that everybody in the world wants. DeMontre Carter, and not the DeMontre Carter running back from 30, 20 years ago, but a big offensive lineman. And then uh, a safety 
to sort of step in KJ Bolden that they lost. I don't know. The, Danny Sheridan said that you won't believe what Florida State paid KJ Bolden legally. Okay, so I'm not saying this illegal right, point. Right, right. I'm, I'm saying where the state of football has gotten <laughs> fifty thousand a month to sign with Florida State. That's only the beginning. That, that, that's a small amount. Fifty thousand. They got a bargain for fifty thousand. Six hundred thousand dollars a year. That's that's a bargain because I guarantee you flip that and and a couple of players, Bryce Young, over a million dollars in endorsement deals from an NIL. Now that's coming off a Heisman Trophy. Yeah, he I mean, did receive that. But for not a high not school a freshman student, yeah, still a high school, school student athlete <laughs> to come in and, and enroll. Man, have times. There's no more. You have to worry about oops. There's the hundred dollar handshake, or you drop that on the on the ground, and you need to you need to or pick the money that up. in the McDonald's bag. In the bag. <laughs> yeah, we, we do have All a right, recent I'm, coach. We can go. <laughs> the NIL will never stop. That that discussion gets started, it doesn't stop. So let's get back to the players, the coaches, and the game. All right, get your classroom out, your, your pencil and pad for your classroom out. Here's uh, the one of the rules that's going to change this year, and it changed uh, when I was a sophomore. And I used it up at Knoxville to stop the clock, but now it's going away. Uh, here it is. Previously in college football, the game clock stopped when the offense gained a first down. The rule has been changed for the 23 season, and the clock will now stop on an offensive or stop on an offensive first down only in the final two minutes of each half. So if a first down is made first quarter, second quarter routine, third quarter, fourth quarter routine, the clock keeps moving. Uh, with two minutes left in the second quarter, the, the clock will stop when the offense gains the first down, and that will also apply in the final two minutes of the game. You know, this rule goes into effect immediately for Division One, Division Two college football. So we'll keep on keeping you up to speed on the rules this year so you're not surprised when you sit down and watch the first game and say, hey, why is the clock running? They just made a first down. So. It's one of those things that, again, when you first see it, it's going to take a little while to get used to. As a college football fan, as an NFL fan, the college football game is starting to mirror what you're seeing in the NFL as well. We'll take our first break here on Talking Football. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner joining us here on the studio in WNSP 105.5. Nick Wiggins also along with us as well. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Slick Billy Shaw from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP 105.5 FM. Welcome back to Talkin' Football on 105.5 FM and live at WNSP.com and on the WNSP app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to Talking Football. We right, have man. my two guys with Did me. Did you get that rule changed? Uh, uh, recap the rule change. I, I, I'm Make ready sure. for the rule change. Now, no, no, when, when you I get just the said. first down, no, when you okay. get the first down, okay, the clock is not going to stop with the exception of the second and fourth quarter with two minutes remaining, almost like a two-minute drill, Correct. essentially mirroring what we do see in the NFL. Correct. Uh, so Okay, right. so I just want to make passed. sure you all the listeners and you've got the rule. Yes. Absolutely. And, and it's going to come into effect. It's going to come into effect for sure. And, and I will say this, guys. Nick has done a great job of pulling up this audio 
And when, when you sit and you think about the Iron Bowl that, that is so historic and to me is the greatest college football rivalry. A lot of people like to say Michigan, Ohio State, Army, Navy. And again, being patriotic, absolutely, it is on my bucket list to get to an Army-Navy game. But again, when you do say Alabama-Auburn and Iron Bowl, one of the most historic Iron Bowls, was the comeback and in that comeback game in 2010 Greg McElroy had something to say about that today and we'll take a listen to that I mean it, it, I'm kind of over it now it, it took me probably like 10 years though I mean hey, if really? I'm going to be completely honest like it it took me 10 years to not be bothered by how that game ultimately went maybe not quite that long but it was a while and and it was still pain I mean, it's still painful but it, there's nothing that can be done about it now. And everyone's now gone on about their merry way. And, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully that's one that doesn't lead to too many sleepless nights anymore for Alabama fans. Uh, I got a question for you guys co coming off that you guys have both played in big games. Do you guys have a game that maybe you're not having sleepless light nights over it now, but maybe for a long period after that game where you were like, man, like, things could have just ah if i could have just done something different what what was just having you waking up in the middle of the night with a cold sweat wrong way bo <laughs> <laughs> my senior year we got the game won twice and we lose it twice do you know how many people don't remember we missed a 39 yard field goal on the last play of the game plenty would have won the game plenty all they remember is the fact that bo got in motion and they don't even realize why he, quote, was the wrong way, that he got in motion and he was a smart enough football player IQ-wise that he knew if I just kept going, it's not a penalty. So when he stepped forward, he just went in motion. But that left him not as the blocking back for Fullwood on the sweep. Scott, what about yourself? And, and this rule change reflects that. That was the first year that they had gone to get when you got a first down. The clock stopped. We didn't have any timeouts. We're driving on ten Tennessee. We're down 10 to 9. Uh, we get the ball to the 17-yard line. It's fourth and one. I think I just completed a pass to Hunter Husband. Fourth and one. The clock is ticking down. Uh, no timeouts. Couldn't throw the ball because, you know, the, the game is over. It, it would go over to Tennessee for the last few seconds. So I, I remember they stopped the clock on first down, so I got everybody in the passing setup. I slapped Richard Grammer under the hiney, which he knew was to snap the ball, and I jumped forward to quarterback sneak. Tennessee didn't even know what was going on. I jumped forward for the first down, and, of course, the referees came up whistling and stopping the clock with six seconds. I went running off the field with yelling at Coach Bryant, clock stops on fourth down, clock stops on fourth down, field goal team, field goal team. And they ran out there, set up, and – by golly, the field goal, Tim Priest from Tennessee just got a finger on it mm. to deflect it, and we're going to win the game. Man, every time I was in Knoxville, I sit there and look at that 17-yard line and remember that. That's kind of oh, what made That'll this. eat you. Still eats me. Yeah, I, I, look, it's not only that. It, it, it definitely probably this past year's game would give you flashbacks uh, and, and sickness in the stomach, too, to see the way Alabama loses to Tennessee with Will Reichert not being able to to make field goals to go ahead and, and put that game away for Alabama. But that's those are great memories when you start talking about not only – 
the game. Speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah, I, I, would, I would rather remember it being 12-10 right, right, right. <laughs> and us leaving on the bus going back to Tuscaloosa with a win. We would have tied 18-17. We, we would have tied Georgia for the SEC championship that, you know, th- at those t- years, you know, sometimes you didn't play a team like Georgia and you didn't have any playoffs. So the Sugar Bowl would have had to decide between us and Georgia as to who they wanted in the Sugar Bowl. And anyway, so. It is an interesting dynamic when it does happen in the Iron Bowl because whether you're looking at bowl over the top in the Iron Bowl, whether you're looking at Van Tiffin scoring field goals, whether you're looking at the kick six, whether you're looking at a 99-yard drive here recently in a four-overtime game in the Iron Bowl, one of the only overtime game in the Iron Bowl to where Alabama goes and marches 99 yards. These are the type of games, it doesn't matter. You you guys have been in them, whether Auburn's 2-7, and seven, whether Alabama's 6-4. and four, it, it, it just, you throw those records literally out the door. And sometimes you do have those performances to where Vegas comes in and says, yes, Alabama's a 28-point favorite, or yes, Auburn is a 10-point favorite in the Iron Bowl. But it is better for college football, especially when you look at that 2.30 kickoff that's getting ready to happen on CBS over these past 25 years or so. Prior to that, Keith Jackson calling games on ABC with the Iron Bowl. It's one of those few nationally televised games that was on ABC in the college football game of the week that just made you love the tradition of college football and Alabama and Auburn even more. Yeah, one of the things you just mentioned that Scott was talking about in all of those, uh, well, in a lot of those memories, was the kicking game and how important it was in deciding close games. <laughs> 10 to 9 could have been 12 to 10, a missed field goal. Our game, 17 15, a 39 yard field goal wins the game. The, the you know, the, the, the kick. The kick return by Davis at Auburn uh, with the one-second thing on the clock, et cetera. Punt by my punt. Punt by my punt, yeah. You know, block two punts. The only way Auburn would have scored a touchdown in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and it was literally, if you go back and watch those two punt blocks and returns, the same man blocked them coming up the same way. The same guy picked it up on the same kind of bounce and runs it in. It was almost a mirror image. We could keep going on, you know, the kicking game. So – that leads us into Scott. What? How is the Alabama? Didn't their kicker return? Didn't yes, Will Richard is back, uh, so they're good. Good with the field goal team and, and so forth. So Auburn has Alex McPherson, who was an all-time setting yeah. high school kicker from. Uh, I guess that was Fife. No, he's he's from North Alabama. I know it's not Fife because Fife has won so many state championships in a row. Uh, that it's ridiculous. Well, somewhere but in North he, Alabama. He is in North and Alabama. Chapman is back as the kicker, I mean, as the punter. And, and that's huge when you have those returning units coming back. And for me, of course, since I've got one of my own long snapper, <laughs> Auburn's long snapper came back for his sixth year. He had a COVID year and he decided to take it. So not having to replace somebody that you never know the long snapper till the ball sails over the yeah. punter's head. And, and, Scott, I know as a former quarterback, you know, you, you had the pleasure and the privilege of probably holding not only at Alabama but in your time in the NFL as well. It, it's just that third phase of the game to where when you want to complete that win and have a dominant factor or, again, like you mentioned, the games that do come down 
to wins and losses and misses from a special team standpoint. The holder, the snapper, everything has to be perfect everything. for something as simple as an extra point. You know, we all that played realized that you lose the you can lose a, a football game in the kicking game faster than you can lose it on offense and defense and coaches' decisions because the mistake we made at Tennessee. Uh, uh, there was a high snap, and Frank Mann was the holder. He had to come off his knee to get the ball and pull it down. And Mike uh, Dean, who was a good, consistent, you know, inside 30-yard line kicker, uh, Mike had to hesitate a little bit for Frank to get the ball down, and that's why Tim came around and just could get his finger on the ball because the ball was kicked well and was going to go through the upright. So the kicking game is faster to get you beat faster than any part of the uh, of the game. I agree with you, Scott, and, and you can't emphasize that enough because we'll see how many times this season we come in here on a Tuesday afternoon from five to six talking football to see what the difference was in special teams whether it was from a punting standpoint an extra point standpoint a missed field goal standpoint we'll see if any time during the 15 week span that we'll be talking about special teams being the difference instead of how many touchdowns or how many receptions or how many yards the quarterbacks had at alabama and auburn Talking football. Well, you know, uh, before the season starts, I like to take one of the kickers out and sacrifice them. You know, you tie them up and you throw them off the top of the stadium <laughs> to the football kicking gods, and uh, that satisfies, you know, the that, things, that go, the things go well I, after, I, I after, after you, after I, I you do sacrifice one of them. Except there you go, there you go. <laughs> Talking football. We'll be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Uh, this is Tim Brando of Fox Sports telling everyone along the Gulf Coast in Mobile, listen to the opening kickoff with Mark and Lee on 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to Talkin' Football on 105.5 FM and live at WNSP.com and on the WNSP app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to Talkin' Football. Tracy Turner, Scott Hunter, joining us here in studio at WNSP 105.5. All right, get your, get your pad and pencil out. I, I, here got comes, it ready, Nick. Here comes another one, uh, a rule change for this upcoming season, concerns consecutive timeouts. Consecutive timeouts by a single team are no longer allowed during a dead ball period. You know how a coach will call consecutive timeouts when the I other the team is lining up to kick the ball for a field winning field goal. So each team has three charge timeouts during each half. However, no more than one charge team timeout is available per team during each dead ball period. And sometimes you saw it not even trying to ice the kicker, but so yeah. there's a timeout, you come up to the line, and there's another timeout. Yeah. Uh, you change the play and you come up to the line, you know. So I yeah. like that road change. Yeah. I, I do too, and, and you had the perfect analogy there when you started looking at it because what you were doing is in Major League Baseball with the pitch clock, you definitely have to speed up the game a little bit. 
And, and again, when you look at the average college football game, it's scheduled, if I want to record it and I'm going to be away from the house, three hours long, right? But very rarely do you have yeah, a three-hour-long three yeah, game college football yeah. game. Same thing with Major League Baseball to where there's not as much movement and there's not as much action in Major League Baseball, but the fact that they're finishing games in two hours and 30 minutes now versus – three and a half to four hours, we'll be able to see within the first couple of weeks how fast these rule changes will speed up well, the game. Pay attention to this now. Since the clock doesn't stop on first downs outside the last two minutes of the second and fourth quarters, uh, that's going to limit the number of offensive plays each team gets. They may go from an average of, what, 65-ish? down into the 60 so that's probably four or five maybe six plays that you simply won't have in a, in a particular game so pay attention to how that changes things up and i tell you what steve spurrier used to do in the first half he'd get up a, a two and a half touchdown lead and then he'd run the ball the entire second half and you look up and his running backs would be leading the sec in rushing you saw how's that and but Steve would shorten the game by sh uh, the number of plays and the clock in the second half by by accenting his running game. And well, you can just think. Let's think of it. Most most decent teams have at least 18, 20, 22 first downs. Yeah. Say twelve of those, at least maybe a few more happened outside of the end of the two halves. Yeah. So that's an additional, is it a 35-second clock? So that's three, that's four or five minutes of the game that normally you've been, that, that now, yeah. not, now it's Game just, time, actual yeah. game time. Now the clock's just going to keep running. Yeah, it, it's it burned up. Stopped. It that's burns right. that up. That three to four minutes, minutes gets burned up. Not including the commercial time for each one of those timeouts that are called. So I, I think that that is a great rule change when you start looking at that now may have to help conditioning a little bit it, it really but because if you talk about auburn those guys are having to get back to sort of some of the gus miles on conditioning because tempo has been snap the ball get on the ball snap the ball get on the ball you know it's been the old days when you'd see gus doing that <laughs> stupid like a bird pecking the ground thing you know well it's back to tempo at auburn i i love the fact here as well when you look at the strengths of both of these teams and coming out of the spring, Scott, I think that you would say and probably agree with me that the defense or the secondary would become a strength of this Alabama Crimson Tide yes. because you do have Kool-Aid yes. McKinstry coming back. Yeah. You have Malachi Moore coming back. Yeah. You have Terion Arnold coming back. You have people that left for the NFL like Jordan Battle and Brian Branch. But I, I think that you, you look at the secondary being a key for Alabama from a depth and experience standpoint, I absolutely love that. Yeah, I think you've hit a point there, Corey. Probably, if you look at a, at a, a breakdown of units being offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, running backs, and so forth, I, I think the probably the strongest unit uh, on the Alabama football team is the secondary. 
they just really looks like they're they're poised to be a really good secondary and and frankly they've been a little shaky in that mm. area in the last three or so four years i mean they've had some great players yes, individually but, but individually but a little shaky in the system and i think what kevin is going to do and he and I spoke about this, is, is simplify things down a little bit and depend a little more on athleticism of the secondary guys when it comes to coverage. Uh, go back to that Tennessee game you were talking about, that Alabama just seemed to never get in the right coverage. Uh, and what I found out later, there were a lot of signals going out there that were missed and people were out of position and not getting the right calls and all. And, and frankly, that's a breakdown of not players and their abilities, but breakdown of the system. And I, I, Kevin is just not one that's going to let that happen. I don't think that that, that that is going to happen. But when you do look at Caleb Downs, the phenomenal true freshman, early enrollee, I know that you were able to, to lay eyeballs on him. His physical makeup is is unbelievable for a true freshman. And now that he's had a chance to be on campus for eight months, not only be involved in Alabama spring, but now the fall as well. Scott, this is going to be a starting safety as a true freshman yeah. who's going to make waves. Yeah, and, and that's a very important position. Uh, you know, the center fielder on defense, uh, he didn't play his position correctly such as the, the touchdown that Tua threw to Devontae Smith. wasn't Everybody blamed the Georgia cornerback, but he was playing the coverage that he was called to play. The guy that blew it was the free safety who should have been rotating over faster. And I've, I've hit wide receivers coming off the cornerback on that play years uh, in the NFL. So if the free safety doesn't do it right, uh, he leaves a big hole back there to take advantage of. Well, I know this, too. Yesterday, the AP polls come out. Alabama ranked number four outside of the top two. And Nick and I were talking on yesterday's show, it's not the demise of Alabama football when you're not ranked in the top two because it's not how you start. It's how you finish ultimately. And with college football having the best four teams available this year, that's going to end the four-team system playoff. I think Alabama, the times that it's been not ranked one or two, three of those times they've had an opportunity and have gone on to win a national championship. So that's a good sign if you're Alabama not being ranked one or two in those preseason polls coming out. Well, um, what can I say about preseason polls that hasn't <laughs> been said before? Um, I think the fans know what to think about preseason polls. <laughs> it's that stuff you carry out in the backyard and throw over the fence. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, when, when you do look at the fact that, that Auburn, I, I said yesterday, will Auburn crack the top 25? I said, yes, Auburn's going to crack the top 25 a little earlier than what people expect. You get off to a 3-0 and start going into that Texas A&M game, which is your first true road SEC test off of the bat. Auburn finds a way to win that game and start the season off 4-0. There's no doubt in my mind at 3-0 and you're going to start receiving votes for that top 25 that's going to create – a great matchup between A&M and Auburn in the fourth week of college football. 
and if they were to somehow beat A&M, how crazy would it be the next week? Because you know who comes to town the next week. you got another home game with one of the biggest rivalries in Auburn's the football history. The oldest rivalry in the Deep South. Yeah, that, that would create madness for the Auburn faithful. Now, credit to Auburn fans already selling out the home games for the first time in regular season in a very long time. And we'll have Andy Burcham on tomorrow to talk about the excitement that he's feeling, not only with this coaching staff, but with this 2023 Auburn program. But again, college football has arrived and we are less than two weeks away from toe to leather with our first official college football game. And we'll finish up the first show of the fall edition of Talking Football here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile, you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5.